Last week, um, James talked to you about how shame is one of Satan's quickest ways to tear down the people of God. Uh, whenever he gets involved in our sexuality, he brings shame so that he can defeat the, the kingdom of God. And I just want to tell you that if you've already engaged in sexual activity outside of marriage, there is hope for you today from your Creator. And the hope comes straight from God's Word. When I first saw this video, it made my heart beat a little faster. I showed it to Janie. It made her heart beat a little faster because it talks about redemption. It talks about how you can be cleansed spiritually. And I want you to watch this. Remember, the serpent's first deception involved our sexuality. Why? Because our sexuality is one of his easiest doorways to shame us. How does it play out in normal life? Well, let's just say that your life is clean and it's clear. And then one day, someone hurts you sexually or you make a sinful sexual decision. And all of a sudden, shame drops into your life. What used to be clean and clear now becomes clouded. You're full of shame. Your life is stained. What do you do? Scripture says in Job chapter 11, verse 13 through 16, Yet if you devote your heart to God and stretch out your hands to Him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then you will lift up your face without shame. You will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as waters gone by. The imagery is like you're standing on a bridge and there's a river going by. And, and the Bible promises that if you've been involved in sexual sin or if you've been abused sexually or you've been hurt somehow sexually, that if you'll follow these steps, that your sexual past, the sin or the abuse or whatever's in your past, that you will recall it as the water that's already passed by a bridge. You don't remember that water. And it says that you've got to do a few things. And basically, this is it. And, and maybe some of you have never done this. But basically, it says... That, that you, you bow before God as your creator, as your, as your king, and you humbly... And see, you don't bow if you're full of pride. You don't bow if you're still in control of your life. But when you're hurt enough and you've suffered enough, you bow before God and you admit your, your need for Him. You admit that you're powerless and you can't do it anymore. And then it says you confess your sins. Confession means I agree with God that what I did was wrong. Or it could be if you've been abused, you agree that what this person did to you was wrong. And you cry out to God and you ask Him to forgive you or give you the strength to forgive. And then it says, let no evil dwell in your tent. What that means is you put up boundaries around you that protect you from sexual sin or from whatever your sin is. For example, if you're an alcoholic, you don't go any place that they sell alcohol or that they're going to be drinking alcohol. You put up boundaries so that you're not tempted. 
If you have an issue with pornography, you get a filter on your computer. You do it today. You get in an accountability group and you confess that to some men or to some women, whatever. If you're men, you confess to men. If you're women, you confess to women. You confess. And, and you draw these boundaries around you that help protect you. And it says, if you'll do this, let no evil dwell in your tent. Then put the last part of that verse up there, Job eleven fifteen and 16. It says, then you will lift up your face without what? Shame. How many of you felt shame in your life? How many of you feel shame today? You don't have to carry it. It's a promise from God's word. But you have to humble yourself before God. And then look at the last part. It says, you'll stand firm without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it as water has gone by. Before we walk out of here today, I'm going to give you the opportunity to go through this process. And it's my prayer that you will leave here differently. Not because you've heard a great sermon. I don't expect that. But because you've encountered an incredible God who has power, who loves you, and does not want you to feel shame anymore. Today we're going to talk about things that Satan doesn't want your children to know about sex. And there's a lot of parents that are really uncomfortable talking about sex. There's a lot of you that, that don't want us to talk about sex in church because you feel really uncomfortable about it. But I've got to tell you, there's an enemy who wants to destroy your children sexually. His goal is to get them enslaved in some things that will entrap them for their lifetime and will destroy future generations. It'll destroy their relationships, which will impact their children, which will impact their children, so on and so on. Satan wants to destroy your children. That's his stated goal. And if we do not do something, we as the church and we as parents don't do something to educate our children, we're actually contributing. We're setting them up to fail sexually. And we can't do that. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. And the city of Corinth was one of the most strategically located cities in the ancient world. I'll show you a couple of pictures here. Now, this, uh, you see, that's the Mediterranean Sea. Corinth, you can't see it. It's right up here. Uh, let's go to the next picture. There you go, right there. And it's on, it's located on the Isthmus of Corinth. And what was cool about this city was there are incredible harbors on either side of, of the Isthmus of Corinth. I'm going to try not to say Isthmus too many more times. And it was easily defended. It was one of the most strategically located places. And they, they, they thought it was, could never be defeated because it was on high um, cliffs. And it had cliffs behind them. It was very easy to defend. And it was an incredible city. And, and one of the things they used to do was drag boats across the Isthmus. Say the Isthmus of Corinth five times, just as fast as you can. You, you get tongue-tied. But they would drag boats across on wheels rather than... than risk going around this whole land mass. This was a very, very powerful city because of commerce, but it was also powerful because it was a wicked city. People would come to this city because they could find any kind of pleasure and any kind of sex that they possibly wanted. One of the mythical gods that they worshipped, they believed that he was called the fertility god, and so he was the one that helped control whether your crops would grow or not. 
So someone came up with this idea that they were going to build a temple to this fertility God. And part of the way they were going to worship this fertility God was they were going to have temple prostitutes. And so they said if the men would come to the temple, have sex with the temple prostitutes, that this fertility God would be pleased with their actions and he would help grow their crops. Can you hear Farmer John? Honey, it's time to fertilize the crops again. Got to go to church again. Do you know how crowded church is going to be during planting and harvesting season? I mean, come on. City had such a bad reputation that the worst thing you could possibly call a person was a Corinthian. Those were fighting words. You mess with me this week, I'm going to call you a Corinthian. And you'll know what I'm talking about. Maybe you won't. Now, the biggest problem that Paul had is he's writing to this church in Corinth and the church in the midst of this incredible wickedness had started allowing some of this wickedness in the church. So he has to write this letter because these people are whacked. They're saying things like this, and we'll come across this in the passage, but they're saying things like, well, you see, the body, we get hungry sometimes. Our stomachs get hungry, and and it's a natural urge. And so when we get hungry, what do we do? We eat. It's a natural thing. And then they said, in the same way, sex is a natural urge. So when we get a little feisty sexually, sure that God wants us to have sex. And Paul goes, really? Look what he says in verse 19, chapter 6. Haven't you learned that your body is the home of the Holy Spirit God gave you and that he lives in you? Your own body does not belong to you for God has bought you with a great price. So use every part of your body to give glory back to God because he what? Owns it. Okay, first thing that Satan doesn't want your kids to know. It's on your listening guide. Your bod belongs to God. Say that with me. Your bod belongs to God. Everyone, say that with me. Your bod belongs to God. Wes is hoping hoping that if he is loud enough, we'll go on. But I want everybody to get this. This is crowd participation. Ready? Your bod belongs to God. All right. God gave you a body when he created you in your mother's womb. Read Psalm 139. It talks about God knitting you together when you're just this little fetus in your mother's womb. And then when you ask Jesus, if you become a member of his family, you ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. God purchases your sin-filled body, covers it with the blood of Jesus, and makes it his own. And if that's not enough, then God sends the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit to live inside his family members and change them from the inside out. Don't you ever say if you're a child of God that you own your body. God has bought it. He has gifted you. It belongs to God. But what people say is, what's the big deal? Sex is for the body, the body for sex. They, just like the Corinthians used to say. It's not that, it's my body. I can do whatever I want to with my body. Don't you dare tell me what to do with my body. You know what I'm going to tell those people? Even if you're not a Christ follower, it's not your body. Did you create it? Did you make your body? Nope. Um, <laughs> if your body gets sick, do you heal it? I mean, you'd like to. You'd like to mm, heal thyself. You'd like to do that, right? God created even the healing process. And God is the one that can heal you 
And isn't it funny that people that stay away from God all their lives, they get some terminal illness? All of a sudden, they become praying people because they can't heal themselves. God is the one who brings healing. When you sin, and the Bible says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When you sinned, did you redeem? Did you purchase your own body back? No, Jesus Christ did that. When you die, and you will die unless Christ returns before that. If you're a Christ follower and Christ returns um, before you die, you get to go meet Him in, in heaven, and oh, that's, that's just going to be really cool. But more than likely, you're going to die. I'm going to die. And when your body is planted in the ground, do you have the power to raise your body up? No. When, if you're a child of God, when you get to heaven, do you have the power to give you a new body? New body, like Jesus had. No, God does that. So don't ever say that this body belongs to you. It has been bought at a very high price, the life of Jesus Christ. Now, look what Paul says in verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. And then thinking people say this, I've heard this as long as I've been in ministry. What is sexual immorality? Really what they want to know is how far is too far? Well, let's take this apart and let's, let's look at this. So they'll say, well, is like looking at pornography. Is that immorality? Is that too far? Is adultery, is that immorality? Is that going too far? Um, is fooling around, you know, like with all our clothes on, but not really doing anything, is that too far? Well, here's the Greek word. The Greek word is pornea. You've heard that word, right? What did we have two weeks ago? Porn Sunday. Same word for porn, pornea. And it means illicit sex, including adultery, incest, premarital sex, or any other extramarital sexual arousal. Any other extramarital sexual arousal. When we understand that, it kind of broadens our mindset of what immorality is. Any extra sec- extramarital sexual arousal. Would pornography be considered extramarital sexual arousal? Yes or no? Yes. yes. Absolutely. Pornography, then, is sexual immorality. Would fooling around, though, you know, we're technically a virgin, but we're doing everything except penetration, would that be extramarital sexual arousal? Yes. 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 Of course. It certainly is. So in case, in case I need to spell this out very, very clearly, intercourse outside of marriage would be sexual immorality. So that means no intercourse. But we just said fooling around with your clothes on, that's outer course, I guess. So no intercourse, no outer course, no upper course, no lower course, no coursing from the rear, no coursing at all. Okay, no coursing. That's sexual immorality. Now, hopefully that makes it real clear the what of sexual immorality. The Bible says don't be involved in sexual immorality. But we're going to move to the why. Because if we don't tell our kids why they should not have Sex, they're going to say what many of us said, why not? The what of sexual immorality is not enough. We've got to give them the why. Second thing, Satan doesn't want your kids to know. Sex is sticky. We, uh, we've had some mouse, mice, I should say plural, mice issues here at the church lately. And we don't have them anymore because I am like the master mouse, mice catcher. And, and I've been catching mice for years. I go World War III on them. 
any possible thing I can use, I do. And I come in and I check them and I find them. I catch those suckers. But my favorite mouse catching story goes way back to when I was um, in Austin. It's before I was married. So I, had, I was living in this house and I was single. And I'm sitting on my couch one night, probably 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. I'm watching TV. And, and this little furry rodent runs down my wall, stops, looks at me and smiles and runs off. I sat up and of course nobody's there, but I went, you've got to be kidding me. The dude just taunted me in my own living room. And so I got up and as soon as I start for him, he runs and there's this little bitty hole that went from my inside wall to my carport and there's a little storage area out there. Sucker ran through and he was laughing at me. I heard him. He was laughing at me. So the next day I go and I get some mouse traps and I stick them out there and I put cheese on them because I thought that's what you did. You put, this was early in my career. I put cheese on them. And I had mouse traps all over the carport, the house, all over my storage little area out there. And I would go every day. As soon as I'd get home from work, I would go and I would check my mouse traps. Every stinking mouse trap would be without cheese and unsnapped. I'm like, this dude's good. So I'm going back to the hardware store, you know, and I'm getting more stuff. And I decided to get one of those little sticky traps. And I didn't go for the little mouse sticky pad. I said, let's get a rat, dude. Let's get the rat trap. You know, because those are big old pads. So I decided to change from, from my cheese to peanut butter. Because someone older and wiser than me said, peanut butter works. It's a little harder for him to get it off there. I was like, okay. So I put a little dab of peanut butter right in the middle of this sticky trap. And, and I only did one. I don't know why. I was poor, I guess. I did one big old honking trap. I thought one big one was better than several small ones. So I put it over here, and then the other traps are, are around. And the next day, I can't wait, because this went on for days, and I finally did this. Next day, I go out there when I get home, and little sucker, little Chuck E. Cheese, had fallen for the bait, and somehow he'd gotten the, the peanut butter out of this sticky trap. But I don't know how his front paws did not get stuck. His back paws are stuck. Now, the interesting thing is... He was so consumed with getting out of this sticky trap that he was running around in my storage room because several feet away was the trap still without cheese, still unsnapped. <laughs> and he hops, because I'm laughing, dude, in my mind, I'm seeing all this happen. He hops around with his back legs tied and he finally runs into my other trap. And you know what happened? Got him! Broke his little Chuck E. Cheese head and both feet were stuck up there. Dude was stretched out like this. And I'm like, yeah! Do not mess with me! And I thought about you, Corinthian. I didn't know that back then. I'm going to call all my Corinthians. And I thought about trying to pull him off just for fun because he was dead. And I thought about trying to pull him off and I thought, dude... This stuff's kind of rubbery, and his legs go. And I thought, you know, he's dead, so I won't do it. But wouldn't it have been cool? <laughs> legs sticking over here. What he so wanted. Yeah, if you had a mouse laugh at you in your own living room, don't go, oh my goodness. You'd have been going, yes! He's wicked. No, no. You got, ladies, you got a mouse running in your house. Are you going to be happy until daddy kills the mouse? Oh, some of you, mamas, oh, anybody, until the mouse is dead, 
No, you're not going to be. Here's the point. What he desired so much destroyed his life. He focused on this so much that he got stuck to it. And then he's hopping around and he's not thinking about the danger. And he goes and he gets snapped. He gets killed. His life is ended because he was stuck and he couldn't get out. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to sex. Because you've been stuck to somebody for years. Even though you're no longer dating or married, you're stuck because sex is sticky. It was designed that way. Look how Paul says it. In verses 15 and 16. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? So he's saying, your bodies, because you've been purchased with Christ, you have been bonded, united with Christ. Look at the next part. Should a man take his body, which is bonded with Christ, part of Christ, and bond it with a prostitute? Never. May it never be, is what it says in another translation. God forbid that I should take my body, which is bonded to Christ, and bond it with a prostitute. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scripture says, the two are united into one. God's ideal for marriage is the virgin husband comes to the virgin bride. And with penetration, there is shedding of blood. And it is a holy moment because with any covenant, there is shedding of blood. And it's pure and it's holy and it's righteous before God when it happens that way. Sex joins us together. It unites us. It bonds us. It fuses. Sex is what? Sticky. I want you to watch this video. A lot like this tape. Notice there's nothing on this right now, but I bet if we stick it to some different people, we'll actually take something away. See, there's some lint, and there's some fuzz. We'll stick it to another person. We'll stick it to another one. This is fun. This tape is sticky. Stick. Stick. And there's another person. Let's stick it to them. Stick. This tape is starting to lose its stickiness. Why isn't it sticking? The tape isn't sticking. Well, I've been sticking to a lot of people, and I picked up a lot of hair and a lot of lint and a lot of fuzz. I've really taken a lot. Oddly enough, is well the tape lost its stickiness. Sex is like that. It's, it's sticky. It unites. It bonds. It fuses. A lot of times, couples wonder when they get married why their marriage doesn't seem to stick. Maybe it's because they gave so much stickiness away. Whatever you do, don't give away your stickiness. Our sexual desire is God-given, but Satan always takes a good God-given thing and perverts it. When sexual desire is fulfilled within the bonds of marriage, it sticks that marriage together. It bonds. It fuses. Don't ever give your stickiness away. Don't allow your desire for something good to become perverted because you never get the blessing of God by disobeying the commands of God. It does not work that way. 
Don't give away your stickiness. So we've looked at a couple of things that Satan doesn't want your kids to know. Your body belongs to God. Sex is sticky. There's something else he doesn't want your kids to know. Sexual sin is messy. I think it's because sexual sin is so messy that Paul says this in verse 18 of chapter 6. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. All sin separates us from God, but not all sin has the same consequences. Many of you know that sexual sin is messy because you've experienced it. Some folks here probably have experienced STDs and fear and and the intensity of unwanted pregnancy and the guilt and the shame and the confusion. and and, And I thought we were in love, but now we're not. And now I hate you and I'm confused and I don't know what to do. And there's all kinds of baggage because we have given away our stickiness and because sexual sin is messy. And it's different from other types of sins. It's just different. I've been a minister 27 years now and and I've done tons of weddings and I do all kinds of premarital counseling. And I want to share some things that I've never heard in premarital counseling or even in postmarital counseling. Never heard somebody go, hey, uh, dude, you you know, I love her, but um, she, she has parking problems. Like she gets four or five parking tickets a year and, and I just can't give my heart to someone who, who, who violates the parking codes of the city that I'm living in. Hadn't heard that one. Um, I haven't heard a girl say, well, you know, I love him, but dude's a jaywalker. He's one of those guys that walks up and says, don't walk. And he just jaywalks. He just goes, he doesn't care. I hadn't heard that one either. But I have had women sit in my office whether they're premarital counseling or just before the divorce. And I've heard them say, he is so into pornography that it rips my heart out. And it makes me feel unworthy that I'm not good enough for him. It makes me feel dirty and I'm not attracted to him. And then I watch her bawl her eyes out and she said, I just don't know if I can marry this man or stay in this marriage. I've heard that one. I've had men say, I love her, but she's had so many sexual partners that it scares the crud out of me. And I wonder if she's going to compare me to other men. Ladies, let me tell you something. There's not a man in this room who wants to be compared to another man sexually. And I've heard guys say, you know, she, she obviously didn't didn't follow God's standards for sexual purity before, what's what's to convince me that she's going to follow God's commands for sexual purity after we get married? I'm scared of this. And, you know, there's one other that I've never had anybody say. I've never had someone who followed God's plan for sexual purity come back to me later and say, I'm so hacked that we did it God's way. Man, I wish we'd have ripped it up sexually before we got married. That would have made me happy. Never heard that one. But I have heard people say, I wish I had known then what I know now. Then there wouldn't be so much crap in my life. I wish I had known. Sexual sin is messy. It's sticky. Satan doesn't want your kids to know that. There's one other thing that nobody ever told me when I was growing up. I grew up in the church and I never heard this one. 
Sexual purity is an act of worship. I can worship God through sexual purity. For her 12th birthday, I took Rachel to a reunion tower. We had this daddy-daughter date and I had this planned. And um, we ordered this greatly expensive meal and, and we just had a blast and the view is just incredible. And after we ate, I pulled out this, this gift that Janie and I had picked out for her. And it's a purity ring. And I told her, I said that, that God wanted her to be sexually pure her whole life and that her mom and I wanted her to be sexually pure her whole life. And we were giving her this ring. And by wearing this ring, she wears it everywhere. By wearing this ring, she was promising God and she was promising her mom and dad that she would remain sexually pure her whole life. And I explained that on her wedding night, I said, you don't have to give the dude the ring. That's your ring, you know. But the best gift you can give your husband is your virginity. And sex done God's way is an act of worship. And, and when I am, I can have sex with my wife and it be an act of worship. Sex is not dirty. Sex is a good thing done God's way. It bonds you together and you can worship God. And some of you are going, how can you worship God when you're having sex? Well, let me show you where I get that. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I offer my body to God as a living sacrifice. This is my spiritual service of worship. And you say, well, how do you do that? Okay, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, where it says, use every part of your body to give glory back to God. I can worship God by singing. We do that every week. I can worship God by meditating on Scripture. I can worship God by telling someone about Him or comforting somebody with my words. I can worship God by hugging someone who is in need or just hugging my kids and my wife on a regular basis. I can worship God with my hands through through touching and an appropriate touch. I can worship God even in having sex with my wife. That is pure in the eyes of God because He designed it to bond us together. One man, one woman for a lifetime. So having sex God's way is pure and it's an act of worship. I wish somebody had explained that to me and my friends. I somehow got to marriage without having sex, having lots of opportunity, but I didn't know that I was worshiping God by being sexually pure. When I stood before God and promised my life to Janie, she became my only option to rescue me from my aloneness. She became my only option sexually for the rest of my life. And I'm okay with that. And she's okay with that. Our enemy says sex is no big deal because he wants to destroy your children. Our enemy will tell them that oral sex is not sex. After all, Bill Clinton said it wasn't and he was the president, so he should know. He'll tell them that they should experiment with homosexuality. He wants them to dress hot and try to get some attention from the opposite sex. But God's standards are so much higher. That's pornea. God's standards are so much higher. Let's raise the bar. We have to teach our children that God is so good that when He saw Adam was alone, He created woe man to meet His needs. 
And Adam said, she's good. God loved him so much that he said, I'm going to rescue you from your aloneness. And I'm going to give you a partner for life. And I know this isn't a popular message. It's not politically correct. But sex is designed for one man, one woman in the bond of marriage for a lifetime. And parents, if you want to fight with me, let me hear you say, well, kids are going to be kids. They're going to experiment sexually. Let's just give them condoms so that they don't get pregnant. Your kids will live up to or down to your expectations most of the time. These kids have such potential to live godly lives beyond anything you and I have ever done. Let's point them towards that standard, not toward the world's standard. I believe in the students. I believe in the next generation or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Let's raise the standard high, not lower it. And let's pray like crazy that God will protect them and give them wisdom when they're in the situation to flee from sexual sin. Hadn't heard or seen anybody that's had sex while they're running a marathon. I mean, just practically, that's impossible. So let's teach them to run when they're in those situations and not worry about what some idiot in the back seat of a car says. Let's teach them to think about what God and what their parents say because sex is sticky. It's messy. But your purity is an act of worship and your bod belongs to God, not to you. I want everyone to bow your heads. And some of you, you're feeling hurt and shame right now. And I want to tell you that's coming from God because He wants to free you from that right now. So if you're struggling at this moment, I'm going to praise God that you're struggling because He wants to get your attention and He wants to free you today. And so we don't do this very often, but I'm going to ask nobody to be looking around because it's none of your business what someone else is doing. Even the person sitting next to you, even if that's your spouse, it is none of your business. Some of you are carrying baggage from your past and it's... This guilt still hangs on. And there's shame that you may carry. Maybe evil something done to you that you didn't deserve. And it may be that your marriage is suffering in the intimacy department because of the insecurities and your lack of trust. Maybe some of you in here are the one who betrayed someone else. And you wonder if you could ever regain trust. And there's this lack of this lack and this fear and this panic in your life and this guilt and all this emotional baggage. There's some of you here that are trapped in sexual sin today. You're a slave to pornography. You're a slave to sexual sin. You're a slave to homosexual thoughts or homosexual actions. Some of you are considering an adulterous relationship right now or you may be already in an adulterous relationship. If you're uncomfortable right now, it's because your heavenly Father wants to free you. And if you're willing to walk through the process so that your shame and your guilt can be like water's gone by. Never done this one in my life. I'm going to ask you to slip from your seat to your knees. Not worrying about what anyone else says. And I'm going to ask you just to pray. Admit to God your need for Him. 
Confess your sins. Anything he brings to your mind, you confess your sins to him. It's not too late. Someone else needs to slip to their knees. Go ahead. This is a holy moment. Tell God you're tired and you don't want to live your life that way anymore. If you're sitting in your seat, you can do the exact same thing. Here's my challenge to you, especially those of you on your knees. Let no more evil dwell in your tent. Right now on your knees, you need to make some choices about the boundaries that you're going to build around your life. And if you could have done this on your own, you would have already done it. So it's not enough. I'm telling you right now, it's not enough for you just... You took a huge step by getting on your knees. But you need godly people in your life. So you need to commit. If you're not in small groups, you need to get in a small group tonight. If you need to talk to someone, let's set up an appointment. If there's too many of you, I'll find other people that will meet with you one-on-one to talk with you and pray with you. But you, the Bible says we're to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we can be healed. There are certain things you will not get well from by yourself. So right now on your knees, it's time to make a decision that you'll get plugged in with someone of the same sex who is farther along in their spiritual journey than you are. We have Celebrate Recovery tonight. We've got small groups tonight. We have step studies that just got started. It's not too late to get in a step study. If you want to slip back to your knees before we pray, I mean back to your seats, you can do that now. Thank you for your honesty.